I had so many, so many thousands of books that I finally got convicted that I was enjoying them, but other people weren't. So I took a box of them every Wednesday night to my Bible class, and I just set them down, put a little sign on it, and said, these are free, help yourself. So I did that for about six months, and every night they took them all. So um, I, I love going over them. May the mind of Christ my Savior grow in me from day to day, and by His love and power controlling all I do and say. And it goes on to tell us, may they forget the channel seeing only Him. That was sung by coal miners at the time of the turn of the century. 1906 was one of the greatest revivals of all time. It was a singing revival. It came out of the coal mines in Cornwall, England. My family's from there. About uh, two years ago when I visited England, I went to our homeland, and there's nobody there. Um, My family was born at Land's End, which is the tip of England, the toe, big rock. And I found out that my name means the people of the rock. Wow. And I went into a bookstore, and there, giant, eight and a half by eleven that now sits on our coffee table, the history of the Hawkings. It's the number one name in that Tri-City area. And uh, boy, they have good Cornish pastry if you've not had that. It's really good. But anyway, the, the hymns, it was a singing revival. And they still love those old songs. There's a lot of good ones. There's some bad ones, too. And uh, I call the present style 7-Eleven. Seven words sung 11 times. Anyway, I better stop while I'm ahead. Because it might be one of your favorites. Four arguments. Genealogy. Who are the children of Israel? Fundamental issue. Has to be solved. Not everybody who says they're Jewish are going to make it. That's one of the sad truths that Judaism doesn't want to face today. They believe if you're in the inner circle, you do what they say, you will definitely have heaven as your gain and forgiveness of sin. But God says it's also a matter of grace. You can't save yourself. All the good things that you and I may do. Uh, He made it very clear in chapter 9 in the case of Jacob and Esau that before the boys were ever born or could do any good or evil, They came to know the Lord. Now, some of you got a little disturbed over my talk, both last night and today. If you think that's bad, wait till we got today's message now. Because the next argument, it's not just genealogy and grace, but it is grafting. Now, um, I don't know if you understand this. I'm going to tell you before we start even before I read the Scripture. I went to a farmer in Dinuba, California, big farm, friend of mine, and I asked him about grafting. He said, well, you know, that's really strange, grafting. I said, why? He said, because what the Bible presents is an impossibility. I said, what? He said, yes, it doesn't work. You cannot graft a wild olive branch 
That means it doesn't bear olives. You can't graft it into an olive tree or a branch that does and make it bear olives. It won't do it. And that's what God says about Gentiles. You're a wild olive branch. You don't bear any fruit. And so you need to be grafted into the true tree, okay? But it doesn't work. By the way, it works the other way. If you have an olive branch that bears olives, you can graft it in to a wild olive branch that doesn't bear olives, and it will bear olives. So then the question is, why did God give us an illustration that's impossible? (laughs) I love this. So you'll understand His grace. You see, God's grace is miraculous. It will do what, humanly speaking, cannot be done. Well, let's read it. Romans 11, verse 13, down to verse 24. For I speak to you Gentiles. Now we know who he's talking to. Inasmuch as I'm the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. I'll explain that later. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, remember he's talking to Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, now a little parenthesis. He isn't done answering that. Well, boast not against the branches. But if you boast, you bear not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, that would be Jews, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Both are true. On them which fell, severity, naturally, is judgment. But toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also, please notice the pronouns are plural. We're talking a national sense, not an individual sense. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. That's the main theme of this little section. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, doesn't produce any olives, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, in other words, the Bible recognizes it doesn't work, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Please notice the teaching is all by questions, thus proving the Jewish background of this passage. Amen? Okay. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. God, we pray in these few moments together you might open up our minds to the whole principle of grafting, that we might see and understand what the point of this illustration is. 
I thank you, Lord, you've never cast away your people. It is grace that has brought some already to faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace, and that salvation by grace is a gift. It's not of works, for grace cannot be works and still be grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our hearts. And we pray again that those in our midst who maybe aren't familiar with this kind of teaching, that God, you will bring quickly to their minds what the Holy Spirit is saying in this passage. Help us not to depart from the truth of God's Word. It isn't our opinions that count. It's what the Bible actually says. So, Lord, help us to understand, we pray, in the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua. Amen. Okay, um, let me walk through this uh, by telling you that there's a big issue here of authority. We look at verse 13. The authority, put it up there, of the Apostle Paul is crucial to the argument. What did he say? I am apostle of the Gentiles. Now, he's an Orthodox Jew. Uh, for interesting reading, you could go to Acts 9 when he was saved and what God said he was going to do. And by the way, he would wind up talking to kings, which he did. And uh, in Galatians 2, 7 to 9, you will see the difference between Paul and Peter. Both are Orthodox kosher Jews. Peter was sent to the Jews, and Paul was sent to the Gentiles. And even Peter and Paul had a little disagreement. And Peter was actually rebuked by Paul because um, when his Jewish brothers came down to Antioch, which was a city in uh, Syria that was Gentile, uh, Peter didn't eat with his Gentile Christian friends. He wouldn't do it. Why? Because he wanted to please his Jewish kosher brethren that came from Jerusalem. In other words, pure compromise. And Paul rebuked him for that. Peter had a rough time, if you think about it. I like Peter. I think I'm a little like him. Always putting my foot in my mouth and uh, not thinking ahead of time. But anyway, um, I like Peter for a lot of reasons. But boy, he had trouble with that vision, didn't he? The sheet of unclean animals comes down. Of all people to do it to, Peter. And he said, Lord, hey, I, I've never eaten anything unclean. Remember the righteousness of the law violates the principle of grace if you try to be righteous by that? That was Peter. Is he saved? Yes, he, he's saved. He came to know the Lord. Well, did he have some trouble? Yes, he did. And so do you. And so does this preacher. We all have trouble. Because we're not sure what to do half the time. But we want to do what God wants us to do, and that's a good starting place. Now, Paul's simply saying, I'm an apostle of the Gentiles, so I ought... Because the church authorized it, therefore, I ought to have something to say to you that would be understandable. And the illustrations were really quite simple. Second, look at the aim of the apostle. Don't ever lose sight of this, that the aim of the Apostle Paul was rooted in the salvation of the, of the Jewish people. He said in verse 14, that I might save some of them. Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first, and also to literally the Hellenist, uh, meaning the Gentile world. Now also in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 22, Paul said, I am all things to all men that I may somehow win some. To the Gentiles, he said, I'm without the law. But as a parenthesis there that says, not without the law to Christ. And uh, to the Jew, he said, I became a Jew. Well, that's odd. He already was an Orthodox Jew. So what could he possibly mean? He means that he's willing to conform uh, to traditional Judaism in order to reach them for the gospel. I am all things to all men that I might save some. Is it true of you and me that the priority of our life is to see people come to know Jesus Christ? I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Yeah, amen, good. Remember, speak out. God said in His Word, don't be silent. Amen? Okay, good. Now this is Thanksgiving time, and it's a perfect time for me to tell you an illustration. I hated the holiday. Absolutely hated it. Every Thanksgiving, we went to our relatives, mine and my wife's, and they were all lost people. Forty-two of them sat at the table. As my wife and I, and I led her mother to Christ, so she was there too. So that meant uh, 39 who were lost. Now, what they did and when they got around for the table, I, I hated this. I, I can't tell you how, I mean, blame me if you want, but this is just what I did. They kept saying, let's have David say the prayer. <laughs> Everybody laughing and mocking. I couldn't wait to leave there. Carol and I would go out with some other Christian friends who had the same problem and try to go to dinner and get our act together to, just to escape the horror of being with drunks and drug addicts and they swore like a fish. and It's terrible. One day, Carol said to me, you know, David, I, I think it's not you, our holidays. Uh, you turn into something that's really weird. I said, I turn into something? Yes. You, you like you're a wimp or something. You're intimidated by all their mocking of you. And you don't normally act like that. I, th I think you need to pray about this. So I did. So I remember the Thanksgiving where God broke the scoffing and mocking. We were all sitting at the table again. There was 42 people there. And they said, let's have David say the prayer. So I stood up and I said, Lord, we know that most of the people at this table are lost and on their way to hell without Jesus Christ. I went through the whole gospel. When I finished, it was just Carol and I and her mother. They all found something to do. But next to Carol's mother was a blind aunt. I thought of this, David, when you were mentioning about Fanny Crosby. And uh, everybody had left, and she didn't know. She was blind. And uh, she was committed to Christian science. She looked across the table, and she said, 
Well, that was certainly a different prayer. And she said, how does one go, know that they're going to heaven? Man, I got so excited. It got up in my throat. I could hardly talk. And I led her that day to Jesus Christ. It was just a wonderful conversion. And the next day she died. I'm telling you, something really snapped. So we began to pray earnestly for all of our relatives. And I'm thrilled to be able to tell you now that most of them are with the Lord. But we were able to see every last one of them come to know Jesus Christ. Some of them hated me with a passion. They didn't want to listen to me in the radio or anything. And uh, they, they were drunks. I mean, some of them have been drunks all their life. And um, I just had the funeral of the last man that I remember in Carol's family who was an alcoholic since he was a teenager. And he died in his 70s. And um, I had the joy of being with him just before he died. And he called his grandchildren and great-grandchildren together. And he told them, I have made a big fool of myself my entire life. They said, David is right. I want you to start listening to him. And he said, I have given my life over to Jesus Christ. And I'm so sorry what I have done to all of you. He died the next day. My wife's father was one of the most wicked men I have ever known. He was a bigamist. He had another family. He would come home on the weekends. But during the week, he had another wife and five other children. Same age as my wife and her brothers and sisters. Well, he became very ill. The family didn't know where he was. Well, I knew that he had worked in construction with McGrath Construction down in San Diego. So I went down there and had a hard time getting him to tell me the facts, but I finally found out where he was. He was in a hospital down in San Diego. So I took my wife. We went down there, and when I started to go into the room, there were five other people in the room calling him Daddy. told my wife, you go back to the visiting room. I want to talk to your dad alone. I went into that room, and those five were yelling at me, swearing at me. Just They hated my guts. By the way, at his funeral, which I had, they shouted obscenities at me while I preached. Anyway, uh, I told him to get out of the room. Uh, You know, sometimes you have to use your own presence. You know what I mean? I'm not the side view of a postcard. It scared them. I said, get out of this room or else. They all left. And I had a wonderful time, almost an hour, with her dad and led him to Jesus Christ, walked out of the room, and he died. You know, I've seen over all this time that God had a purpose. He had a plan. And now all those children of those drunks and drug addicts, they're on fire for God. The Lord has just turned those families upside down. I have eight grandchildren, and my oldest one is six foot eight. And he went to China as a missionary this summer. And I told him, I think you, you might have got confused about the call of God. I said, why? I said, those people over there are real short. And you're six foot eight. He said, well, at least I won't get lost. <laughs> and it turned out the crusade people, he went with Campus Crusade, they said, 
he was the star attraction. Everywhere he went, all the Chinese wanted pictures with him and all. And they would sit there, mobs of them, while he told them about the gospel. And you can imagine what his granddad thought. It's a miracle of God's grace who he chooses. And I don't know that. But listen, please don't give up. Paul said, I'm all things to all men that I may somehow win some. I've listened to some of the dumbest, most boring conversations just to wait for a chance to tell them about Jesus. Amen? Okay, enough said. But the third thing in verse 15 is the future acceptance of Israel by God. That's going to be an amazing miracle, folks. The whole world is going to be blessed beyond what they could ever dream. He says, what will the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Wow. I have a lot of Jewish friends now who've come to know the Lord, some of the weirdest people I've ever seen. The most argumentative, the most hostile, and God's broken them, made them like sweet puppies for Jesus. Amen? God can take anyone, no matter how awful and hostile they are. What's going to happen? Why, in the future, God's going to save them like a whole nation. What in the world will that mean? but life from the dead for planet earth. Wow. And number four, verse 16, their attachment to God's promises and covenant is obvious. It's very obvious, folks. And he illustrates it in two ways. And that forms the context of what we're talking about here. First, it's illustrated by bread. Put it up there. Now, you all know that Jews at special holiday times eat matzah, which uh, is unleavened bread. There's no yeast in it, because yeast was a type of false teaching and of sin. Now, here's what he says. You've got to be clear here. You've got to be awake. You've got to really listen carefully. If the first fruit is holy, you say, well, does that mean without sin? No, that's not the point. Holy means separate. If the first fruit is separate, then the lump would also be separate. Uh, let's say you're going to have regular bread. You put yeast in it, then what's the product going to be? It's going to be regular bread that's been made with yeast. It, it's obvious. So if the first ingredients are separate, then the result will be separate. Now, Jews understand that. In fact, the word is teruma in Hebrew. Uh, Numbers 15 would be a good one to study, but it's used in 80 different places in the Old Testament. The point is, Jews understand that right away. Uh, If we're coming to a special celebration, and God said to eat unleavened bread, well, then when we start, the first fruit has to be separate from regular bread. Now, let me tell you a little example of this. Uh, I was preaching in a large Plymouth Brethren church, hundreds of people. A pastor, uh, there's no regular pastor. They have laymen who rotate. And they asked me to preach and handle the communion service, which they have every week. And so they brought out a large loaf of bread, big loaf. And they said, we all pull off of that. And I said, well, that's sweet, but I'm not doing it. They looked at me and said, what do you mean you're not doing it? 
We ask you to do communion. Well, I'm happy to do communion, but not with that stuff. Besides, white bread is a killer, man. You ought to stop eating it. And they said, well, what should we have? Uh, brown bread or what? I said, no, no, no. Matzah. Well, where are we going to get matzah? Right down the street is the Stater Brothers, and they sell it. Get a little box of it and bring it back. I'll wait for you. We'll sing a couple of hymns while you're gone. <laughs> they were astonished. And when they came back, they had matzah. They said, what, what, what is this all about? I said, God told you to eat unleavened bread. If you don't, then you violate the symbol because you see leaven is a type of sin or false teaching. And there was no sin in him. Amen. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, we eat the feast with unleavened bread, not with the leaven of insincerity and sin. We need to be careful. And even in communion, why would you violate the very symbolism of the sinlessness of our Lord in His body. It needs to be matzah. Now, if you're from different churches, you're saying, oh boy. But listen, matzah is what you should use. As a matter of fact, the way it is pressed on a griddle is wonderful teaching. A griddle produces stripes in the bread. By His stripes we are healed. A griddle produces holes in the bread. You can lift it up to the light and see straight through it. He was pierced, the Bible says. The fact is, he knew no sin. He was made sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. I no sooner did that than they brought out the communion wine. Might as well have been Jack Daniels. I looked at it. 15% alcoholic? They said, yes, we wanted to be true to the Bible. True to the Bible? Then why would you have alcoholic processed wine? That, that's a process of fermentation. To a Jewish mind, that represents corruption, pollution. Well, what are we going to have? Pure grape juice. Now, that's kosher too. It's called kadem. Costs a little bit more, but boy, does it taste good. But you're not going to drink a whole bunch of it. You're going to take just a little bit of it to symbolize. Why should it be non-alcoholic? Because alcoholism is a process of fermentation and is a symbol of sin among Jews. Wow. Now, they may drink alcoholic processed wine, but not at festivals. Did you know at Passover, the rabbis in Jesus' day recommended three parts water for whatever stage the grape juice was in. No matter how it was fermenting, you mix it. Why? So it would not be the appearance of alcoholic fermentation. Again, it is representing what? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. So a little lesson on communion today, or I destroyed it, or whatever I did. But anyway, you understand. Whatever you started with, that's what you're going to come out with. If you want to put some dough together with all this yeast... It's going to come out, a big white loaf, that's what they were using. But it's a violation of the symbolism involved when we take communion. It's a communion of the body of Christ and the communion of the blood of Christ. Amen? So get a little Jewish blood in your communion service, amen? No, not real blood. <laughs> Kill a few Jews, yeah, no. Um, now, in addition to the bread, which is a very clear Jewish issue, you either have unleavened bread or you don't. And the product is always whatever you sowed from the first fruit standpoint. 
But interesting, it's illustrated all, again, by the olive tree. If the root be holy, separate, what does that mean? Well, in the story, in the context, it means a tree that produces olives. So if the root is separate, it is a really good tree, the branches are going to also be bearing olives. Amen? That's simple, isn't it? Now, let me just quickly uh, run through this without uh, belaboring it for you. In the Bible, like Deuteronomy chapter 8, Israel is called a land of olive oil. Um, When I go to Israel up to the Golan Heights, right across to the main shopping center where you see a great movie about the Golan Heights, there's an olive factory by a guy who loves the Lord. God is blessing him. He's shipping now all over the world. He's the number one olive guy in the world. And his stuff is pure. It is all better than what we buy in our stores. And I bring some back always for Carol. And uh, it's wonderful stuff. We like to cook with olive oil. But I was thinking about this. Israel is the land of olive oil. Uh, Concerning Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Bible says, You are a green olive tree, beautiful with goodly fruit. Um, The Bible also says uh, very clearly in Jeremiah, For the Lord of hosts has planted thee. And referring to Israel as an olive tree. In Hosea, it says that their branches will spread and their beauty will be as the olive tree. Our Lord was in the garden of what? Gethsemane, which means an olive oil press. Now, the root in this story, in Romans 11, are the fathers, the patriarchs of Israel. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the root. And it specifically refers to God's covenant with them. His promise includes three things. It's never been abrogated, changed, or canceled. One, it includes a land whose dimensions he has in the Bible. From the river of Egypt, the Nile, all the way to the Euphrates River. All of that land belongs to Israel, and a Messiah will give it to him. Number two, it's a nation that will never be destroyed. Wow, that was a tough one to believe for almost 2,000 years. But in 1948, as Isaiah had promised, Israel became a nation in one day. May 14th, 1948. Wow. It's a covenant that also includes a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who would bless all the Gentiles of the world who would believe in him. So the lump and the branches that are natural is referring to the nation of Israel. Next point, the attitude which Gentiles should have toward Israel. I'm afraid we've made a lot of mistakes here. A couple of things I'll tell you from verse 17 to 24. One, there should be no pride. Put it up there. There should be no pride. You know what? I'm confused, people. I feel like asking, will you help me with this? Because all I see is pride. I see the anti-Semitic attitudes of the church. If you want to get on board with Bible teaching in this regard, there are some books that you should read. One is by Michael Brown, who is Jewish, well-educated. It's called, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood. 
You can get it on Amazon.com or most all bookstores. And you need to read it. There is another one by Olivier Melnick, who happens to do graphics works with us, Hope for Today. Olivier is a French Jew who came to the Lord late in his life. He means a lot to me because his father-in-law led him to the Lord, and I led his father-in-law to the Lord. And it's interesting just to see what God has done. Olivier is now speaking out. His family was killed in the Holocaust, and he's written a tremendous book on anti-Semitism. Many of you know Johnny, who's written a lot of books. Um, Johnny does the forward into it, telling how wonderful is his ministry. But the reason I'm telling you this is that we are not, as Christians in the Church of Jesus Christ, really aware of the attitudes of the majority of Americans against Israel. Just today I finished reading another one on the web, early this morning, Attack Upon Israel from Our Own Government. By the way, a lot of you had asked me to speak about Obama. Okay, I just said it, Obama. My prayer verse for him is Psalm 109, verse 8 which says, let his days be few, and another take his office. He has done more to turn the hearts of people against Israel than any other president for a long time. Boast not against the branches, verse 18. Be not high-minded, but fear, verse 20. You see, the relationship to the root is there, verse 17 and 18. Where do you think your salvation came from? The Lord used Israel and brought a Messiah through a maiden in Israel out of her womb. He is Jewish, and he's the only hope of the world. He's the one who died on a cross for your sins and mine, and he rose again from the dead, and he's coming back. And he will rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's stop all of this anti-Jewish nonsense We ought to be thanking them. I have taught our people that on Wednesday night, and it is amazing what's happening. We're getting more and more Jewish people to come to hear what I have to say. I'm teaching currently the book of Jeremiah. And here's what I taught them to do. When you run into a Jewish person, you're pretty sure they are. Just walk up to them and say, I cannot thank you enough, for you have given us salvation through the Messiah of Israel. We never would have made it without you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And then walk away. Don't think it's an opportunity to preach. Don't do that to Jewish people. They're smarter than that. Walk away. It'll drive them crazy. If you're in the mall, they'll follow you. Try to catch you somewhere else. What did you mean by that? Listen, if you really want to know, you need to come to a Bible class that we have on Wednesday night. A real wacko Jewish guy, you've got to hear him. You sure? Yeah. And they keep coming. <laughs> Wednesday night before I came here, uh, I had the most wonderful time. This Jewish lady, she goes over two or three times a year and works with the IDF, goes out on the front lines. She loves it. She's a aggressive IDF type, you know, Israel type. 
uh, long, straight black hair, of course. Don't ever put curls in it and call yourself Jewish. Anyway, straight black hair. She looks like she's anorexic, but don't mess around with her because she knows all this karate junk and everything else. And she came up and I said, well, what did you think? She said, about what? I said, about what I said tonight. We were in Jeremiah 32, a great section of Scripture. And she said, I don't know. I need to think about you a little bit. I said, like what? I don't know. It's just the way you talked about it. I said, how? Well, I've heard my rabbi on that. Well, did you have to go over every word? I said, oh yeah, we don't leave anything out. She said, I have a funny feeling that you are one of them. I said, one of who? You know, Yeshua, I think you call him. Well, his real name is Yehoshua. Pardon me for abbreviating it. You're talking about Jesus, aren't you? I said, well, Jesus is a transliteration of a Greek word, Jesus, used in the New Testament. I don't care! You can't be Jewish and believe in him. You know, that's an oxymoron. She said, a what? It's an oxymoron. It means it's impossible, what you just said. Why? Because we got Jewish guys who believed in him and believed he was the Messiah. We got a lot of them. I said, by the way, they're all over the IDF. What? I said, oh yeah, I've got a lot of friends in the military. They love the Lord. They're over there in the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces. Oh, by the way, you have them in the Israeli Mossad. The head of the Mossad who just retired, he's a friend of mine. I had breakfast. I don't want to hear this! I said, oh, please come one more time, just so you're really sure about how wacko I am. She said, you got it. I'll be back and bring some friends with me. Look, get off your high religious horse and realize that salvation is first to the Jew. And have the joy of the Lord in your heart. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You've got to be able to smile at Him when you say, if you don't believe in the Messiah, you're going to hell. You know, do what you can. The relationship to the root, of course, is the issue. And what do we have here? Well, we have a couple things we should note. One, the description is of the Gentiles. They are the wild olive branch. And secondly... The dependency of the Gentiles upon the root. And today's teachers on Christian radio and TV have turned it around. They're now saying, we need to pray for the Jews, you know, uh, so that they could be grafted in to the true church. I called to one guy, who was a friend of mine, I said, what in the world are you teaching on the radio? He said, well, I'm doing the best I can. I said, no, you're not. You slaughtered Romans 11. What's the matter with you? Jews aren't grafted into the Gentile church. The Gentiles are to be grafted into the Jewish root of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promise of God. Well, he, he was not happy. But you see, the reason, put it up there, next one, the reason the branches were broken off. You see, the church got mixed up. They thought the reason was God's judgment and that the covenant of God was therefore broken. You cannot break an everlasting covenant. That would be an oxymoron. It's impossible. It's everlasting. 
God will never break his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. Never. Wow. Okay, first I said there should be no pride. Now look at this one. The last few verses. There should be no presumption. Oh, yeah. Psalm 19.13 says, Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Put it up there, verse 21. The attitude that the opportunity for salvation will always be there is a very dangerous belief. If God spared, spared not the natural branches, then take heed, lest he also spare not thee. He's talking about Gentiles who have become believers, and as a whole, they could be cut off. Do you believe that? Well, let me just emphasize it by the words of Yeshua. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? In Matthew seven twenty-one to 23, he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done wonderful works in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not preached in your name? And he will say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now these, according to the text, are already professing believers in the Lord. Now when he said many will say, in the Greek it's the many, which always in Greek refers to the majority. In other words, it's not my belief, it's what the Lord taught us, that the majority of people, when he comes again, who call themselves believers, in fact are not. If you ask me, that's one of the most serious indictments we have in the Bible. And all of us should get on our knees quietly before God and cry out to Him to make sure our trust is in Him alone and not in ourselves or how good we think we are or are not. It's time to wake up. Presumption's a terrible, terrible problem. The second thing is that the acceptance of His goodness does not mean that his severity is impossible. He said, otherwise thou will also be cut off. I like what one Jewish writer says, cut off is not necessarily referring to one person losing their salvation. What it is talking about is the opportunity of this age for the fullness of the Gentiles, the salvation of the Gentile world to happen There's a root problem here. A lot of them merely profess, but they don't possess new life from God. Maybe that helped you to understand what's going on in our churches. I don't get it. I I really don't. I've been in lots of churches that have great names and wonderful reputations, and some of them several thousand people. What's going on? I just had asked me today by some of you, and I won't say who, so you're not embarrassed, about the emerging church. It's now in your church. What do you do now? Well, you're going to have to stand up and be counted and preach against it, or you're going to have to leave and go to a place where it does teach the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. 
That's where it's at. I don't care if there are 10 people or 10,000. I've been in plenty of churches. Remember, 90% of all 375,000 churches in America are 120 people or less. But those big ministries get all the focus, don't they, on Christian television and radio? I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. Watch out. The pride. Presuming by your numbers that somehow you're all right with God. We better wake up. Let me tell you this, number three. The ability of God to restore Israel is not only possible, it is prophetic. I have a a whole tape album on this. Tape after tape. Passage after passage. Telling you that God is going to restore Israel. As a matter of fact, the United States will no longer be the superpower. Neither will Russia or China or Iran. Israel will be the superpower of the world. And did you know the Messiah is going to come back and destroy all the armies of all the nations who have gathered against Israel to get rid of her? Boy, you can see that forming right now. And all their little pet friends like Hezbollah and Hamas and Islamic Jihad and Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade and on and on it goes. All kinds of terrorists. The Muslim Brotherhood are behind it all. Al-Qaeda is under the control of the Muslim Brotherhood. You know, we need to wake up. We got Muslim Brotherhood in the, the czars that we never voted for. You know, that Obama's paying big money to. We have members of the Muslim Brotherhood in there. We have some radicals among those czars who we would kicked out if it was 50 years ago. We have compromised to the point. They don't care what we think. I learned that the hard way. They don't care squat about it. They just want to go on their merry way. I know how to get out of debt. It's easy. Get rid of those 57 czars. That'll be a great start. It runs into the billions already. And how about those bonuses to Wall Street? Why don't we get rid of those too? Oh, and why don't we cut the employees back to the number they had under President Bush? That would eliminate one half of the employees we now have in the federal government. You know, I've added all of this up. Steve Forbes, a good friend of mine, loves the Lord, produces Forbes magazine, ran for president a few years ago. Steve made a list of all the things we could do that wouldn't harm a bit of anybody's life. And he made a list of them, and it totaled up to $15 trillion. What is the debt of the United States? $15 trillion. Oh, I see. So in other words, they don't want to get rid of the debt. How do we get in this mess? Because God said, when you pull away from support of Israel... One of the judgments of God is economic crisis and debt. What is the matter with us? Well, we've forsaken Israel a long time ago. You know, every now and then they want to have a little photo op to make you think that they're... Listen, the only guy who's running for the Republican convention, the only guy they trust, Israel. I know from the Mossad and the military leadership, the only guy they think is worth talking about is Herman Cain, who they're trying to destroy. This is not a political rally, by the way. 
I still put in Jesus Christ as my candidate for president. But do you understand what I'm telling you? Our country's in big trouble. We're fearing, we're, 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 we're intimidated. We don't have the courage to stand up and be counted. And it's getting worse and worse. I called my health care company, you ought to know it, Anthem, Blue Cross. Last year, we were just under $3,000 for us as a ministry, and I thought it was terrible. Today, we're over 6000 one year later. I called the agent. I said, what's going on here? That's a 100% raise. He said, well, David, in order to keep in existence, we're going to have to compete with Obamacare. So you want to pray about something? Let's pray about the Supreme Court. They're dealing with Obamacare this coming week. Let's pray that they declared unconstitutional. This thing is killing small business. Does anybody care? No, they don't care. Why? Because we're guilty as Gentiles, many of them churchmen. Guilty of what? Pride and presumption. You don't mess around with Israel. Israel's the apple of his eye. It's the way he looks at the entire world through Israel and how you feel about Israel and how you support Israel. And people say to me all the time, well, they're not saved. (laughs) So let me see if I got this right. Did God say do good to the household of faith, especially the household of faith, but do good to all men? Did he say that? I've been to Central Africa many times. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to get them some health and care over there. Why? Because they're dying. Two out of every three babies are dead before they're three years old. It's a problem of clean water and food and medicine. And I'm working like crazy to get people to help. Do people care? Not much. Something has happened here in our country. We have lost our understanding of God's prophetic plan. And that plan has worked through the nation of Israel. And may God help us never to forget the ability of God to restore Israel is not only possible, it's prophetic. One last thing and we're out of here. The accomplishment of God's purposes toward Israel will be much easier than the salvation of the Gentiles. Now that's saying something. Verse 24, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And a very good pastor teacher on the radio, whom is a friend of mine, he got all messed up on this. And I called him on the phone. I said, do you have any proof that the natural branches are grafted into the wild olive tree? He said, well, nobody's asked me that before. Well, I just asked you. Do you have any proof? Well, I'm sure it must be there. No. It's not there. In fact, God says the natural branches are going to be grafted into their own olive tree. It isn't Jews being grafted in to the Gentiles. Both Gentiles and Jews in the future must be grafted in to God's promise and covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? I feel like singing, singing Haktifa, which means the hope, the Jewish national anthem.
Amen. But some of you would think we were unpatriotic. Man. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, it's your plan that we come to honor. And you chose Israel among all nations of the world. You chose them to bring forth the descendant, the Messiah of Israel, a Jewish one, who said salvation is of the Jews. And Lord, I don't know where these people are. I know some of them who love you and love your plan for Israel. But some may be still wrestling with this issue. God, help us to take the warnings of what we just read, not to be filled with pride and boast against the natural branches and act like Israel's a problem. No, Israel's a blessing. Teach us, Lord, your word. Help us not to neglect vast passages of the Word of God which teach the restoration of your people. And God, I pray that every one of us would make sure of our relationship to you, that we would not be guilty of the warnings you have given, of just only professing, but never possessing your life in us through your Holy Spirit. We know that soon and very soon, our Lord Yeshua is coming. May all of us be ready to meet Him. In the precious name of our Lord Yeshua, we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Now, all that we've done so far is great. I love teaching. But the best one is yet to come. My favorite passage. And the argument is glory. I can't wait. I'd like to start right now. But you are fortunate in one thing. I do get hungry. (laughs) So we're done for the day.